The reading this evening is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, which can be found on page 1173 of the Church Bibles. It's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so I have to keep it open in front of you, page 1173, if you've inadvertently shut the book. And uh, we have prayed. So uh, I just wonder, what staggers you? What staggers you? I don't think I'm uh, the kind of personality that gets staggered awfully much, but... Uh, Uh, Let me tell you three things that stagger you. And uh, the first one is this, the Burj Khalifa in uh, Dubai. And uh, um, just, um, we were there just earlier this year, the privilege of being there and going up to the top. Actually, for some reason, I I bought the wrong kind of package when you got to the top. And I got one which which managed to get us about ten floors above where people normally go. Uh, We were still inside, which was um, thankful. But uh, anyway, but... Um, but when you stand at the bottom of it and you look up, it is, uh, it is just I- extraordinary. In fact, it's staggering. It is so, so high. It just seems to go on absolutely forever. And then um, this is uh, well, no, it's not the view from the top, but you get an idea of just how extraordinary it is. And, uh, and when you go to the top, the view is very, very much like that. And uh, it is just extraordinary. In fact... I was staggered. Here's something else. Or someone else. That's Ben Stokes. And uh, an England cricketer. And that's the third test, the third Ashes test at Headingley. And England were chasing a record 359 in order to win the match. They still needed 73 when last man Jack Leach came to the crease. And then Stokes launched a staggering assault and won the match virtually single-handedly. Let's not forget Jack Leach, of course, but uh, it was Ben Stokes who scored almost all the runs and we won the match by one wicket. That was just an absolutely staggering innings, as was, of course, the World Cup final. But uh, that's another matter, the Cricket World Cup final, one-day matches and so on. Now, let me tell you something else which staggers me. I stagger me. Now, that's, uh, uh, by which I mean what God has done in me staggers me. 
what God has done in you staggers me. And, and because we are living examples of Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 10, the news in this passage is absolutely extraordinary. In fact, it is quite staggering. And Paul here writes about the old creation and uh, what we were like before we became Christians. And in fact, he is describing what you are like now if you're not a believer. And he's also describing all of our unbelieving friends and family in verses 1 to 3. And then in verses 4 to 10, he writes about this new creation. Um, So you look in verse 10 here, and he says there in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The difference between what we were like and what we are like now is absolutely staggering. So, You'll see on our service sheets there, we, uh, we have a title here, From Old Creation to New Creation, Be Staggered. So first we're going to look at the old creation. And we're going to see uh, what we are like by nature. So the human race by nature. In other words, the human race and what we are like before uh, we were saved. So verses 1 to 3. Now, it is seriously important for us to understand, to see what the human race is by nature. Now, a lot of people say, look, we're basically good and we can be perfected by hard work, by a bit of application and maybe by a bit of help from our therapist. But the Bible says that is completely and utterly wrong. Someone has written, human nature is not a green apple to be perfected by mere growth, but an apple with a worm at the core, which left to itself will surely rot and perish. And there are three things here in verses 1 to 3 that tells us about our human nature. Three things about our life before we became Christians, before uh, we were saved. And this is true, and it is staggering. In fact, actually, it's devastating. It is devastating. We were, if you're not a Christian, you still are. He talks about three things here. We were dead. That's the first thing. And also we're going to see that we were enslaved and we were condemned. Now, it's it's not me being rude to you. Simply, I hope gently and simply to tell you what the Bible says. That's what we were like before we became Christians. If you're not a Christian now, the Bible says that you're dead. Look at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, um, this is to Christian people. So he's saying, this, guys, is what you used to be like. This is what you were like. You were dead. And it's not a figure of speech. It's not saying it was like you were dead. No, it's actually saying you were really, in reality, genuinely dead. I mean, okay, clearly, not physically, emotionally, mentally dead, no, but spiritually dead. Spiritually, we were corpses. It's not that we were facing death, it's not that death was coming up, no, it actually says we were dead. And so are our unbelieving friends. Now, really, in actuality, dead. So before I became a Christian, spiritual things, for instance, had no impact on me. That's what happens when you're dead. Things don't have any impact on you. So spiritual things had no impact on me. The Bible, 
waste of time. Why bother opening that? Prayer, never did it. Unresponsive, dead. Church, what a waste of time that was. Well, I, I went, I think I went to church twice in uh, between, one was to be baptized and one was to go to a cup service between zero and 14. And I hated it. Dead. Okay? I was dead. In fact, verse 2 says, I was dead in my transgressions and sins. No, verse 1 says that, in my transgressions and sins. Transgressions is um, crossing a known boundary. It's deviating from a path. Now, on Men of Mountains, three or four years ago, uh, if you're visiting here, we take a bunch of guys up to the Lake District or North Wales every year, or most years, uh, and uh, we climb up mountains. And we were going going up this mountain, we were about to go into the cloud, and I said to the guy, so you've got to stay together, there's quite a large group of us, so you've got to make sure you can see the guy in front, okay? And if you can't see him, shout, we'll stop, and you can catch up. So it was because it was in the cloud, I was having to, I was at the front, I was having to navigate quite carefully, and after about 500 metres, not going very quickly, I stopped, I turned round, I had about half the group with me. And uh, uh, and half the people weren't with us because they didn't keep up and they didn't shout. And we waited, and then someone said, is that them down there? And they were quite a long way down the mountainside. We were just, you know, we were in the cloud, but you could see a little bit further down there. And uh, we shouted down to them, and they came up to us, and we carried on going. They were actually heading for a precipice, but they were on the wrong path. Now, that's a transgression, okay? They didn't keep up. That wasn't a transgression. Well, it was, really, because I told them that they need to keep up. But the the main problem was they got onto the wrong path. That's what it means by transgressions, getting onto the wrong path. It also talks here about sins, which means a literal, it's a falling short. Like falling short on a pass mark in an exam or in your driving test because you've got too many minors or too many majors. And because of our transgressions and our sins, we're dead. And it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Look at verse 2. It says, in which you used to live. And other translations say, in which you used to walk. That's how we lived. And it gets worse. We're not just, we weren't just dead, but also we're enslaved. Human um, beings by nature are enslaved. Look at verses 2 in the beginning of verse 3. Now, people don't like being told that they're enslaved or addicted to things. But that's what we were. The idea of following in verse 2, and also, again, it's following in verse 3 there, is, uh, is the idea of a whole lifestyle that you can't get out of. That's what it's like. That's what he's describing here. And, I mean, for instance, in our previous church, I remember quite vividly one very sad day going to visit a guy who was a young man who was an alcoholic. And he could hardly stand. He was so overweight. And we, as we talked, he was uh, just without hope in the world. And as we talked, the doorbell went. He was in a first floor flat. And, uh, the, the, uh, um, uh, and the, the, the guy had rung the bell, but he had a key to get in. Because the guy I was talking to couldn't really get down the stairs. It was a friend of his who was bringing next week's supply of lager. A crate of it. And he brought it up and popped it, uh, popped it down in the lounge where we were. Tragic. But that's a picture of our, our non-Christian days, just enslaved, following, it says, in uh, verse 2, in the beginning of verse 3. Um, uh, slightly uh, earlier in verse 3, it talks about gratifying, which is, again, an idea about being enslaved or addicted to things. 
Um, and the trouble is, that's all of us. We all have this kind of history, and it gnaws away, doesn't it? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, uh, you may have heard of him. He used to live in Crowborough, actually, and uh, his uh, home in Crowborough is a place called Windlesham Manor, which is an old folks' home. And I used to go to Windlesham Manor and lead a communion service for the, the folks who lived there in his lounge. And anyway, um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, was known as a bit of a practical joker. So once he decided he'd write to 12 well-known public figures uh, and that he would send them a groundless letter just for fun. Okay, So he wrote to these 12 people and he simply wrote, flee at once, all is discovered. Now he totally made that up. There's no reason for him to say that, but he thought he'd give it a go. Unbelievably, within 24 hours, all 12 had left the country. And there is this enslavement. There's an enslavement here in three directions. He talks here about being, being enslaved, they're the traditional things here, uh, by the world, by the flesh, and by the devil. Like three prison guards keeping you where they're in prison. So, enslaved by the world, first of all. The world, that's the, that's the kind of worldview, the dominating worldview of our world. And it's not Christian. Full of the value of the uh, uh, idols that we strive after. Physical ones, perhaps, like the latest phone or the latest experience that everyone wants to have and all the rest of it. And the value of me, where I come first. And I've always got to be the centre of the world. Enslaved by the flesh. The cravings of our human nature. The desperate appetites for everything our popular culture promises us and then fails to deliver. Watch this box set. Sleep with this girl. Look like that guy and you'll be happy. Really? Believe that? And the flesh is not just our physical flesh, but everything our mind longs for as well, like false ambition and revenge or malice or covetousness or whatever. And then it also talks here about being enslaved by the devil. So look at verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and this is a name for the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, when I was, uh, I grew up in, I was born in 1956, okay, and uh, we were born in the suburbs of London, and, uh, uh, and we used to have smog in the late 50s, early 60s. And uh, uh, the smog is a kind of mixture of smoke and fog. Gets together, and from time to time, I vividly remember trying to walk down our road. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And people would get lost. I remember walking down the road. I had no idea where I was. I couldn't find my home. It was so, the smog was so thick. Well, look at uh, here again on page 1173, and it says here, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the word for air could be translated smog. Smoke and fog put together. The ruler of the kingdom of the smog. At work in those who are disobedient, as we all were. And that's what verse 3 tells us. Have a look at verse 3. All of us, all of us, you're not exempt. We're all there. And you may still be there if you're not a believer. All of us lived among them at one time. Gratifying, addicted, enslaved to the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That's all of us. 
Devils at work enslaving people. Modern slavery is a fact. And you can see it every day in all our unbelieving friends. Every single person who's not a Christian is enslaved to the world, to the flesh, to the devil. And so was I. And so were you. But it gets worse. Dead, enslaved, but then also condemned. Condemned. Look at the end of verse 3. This is, devast- this is staggeringly devastating, if, you, if that's such a phrase. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath or objects of wrath. Now, I'm, if you look down my family tree... My mum's side, my dad's side, as far as one can reasonably go, uh, you will find that I'm English. Very, very English, okay? As far as I'm aware, there is not a drop of anyone else's blood in my body, ra- uh, rather than it's just English, okay? So there's no, there's no French, there's no Welsh, there's no Scottish, there's no Irish. I'm English. That is my nature. I can't help it. I'm rather happy to be English, I have to say, but I can't help it, I can't change it, okay? Now, look at verse 3. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, my nature is that I'm English. It's what I'm made of. It's the drops of blood. Every single drop in my body is English. And also, it used to be, I was by nature, just in the same way as I'm English, but I was by nature deserving of wrath. And you see, it says here, like the rest. Like the rest of the unbelieving world, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God's divine reaction to evil. That's what wrath is. That's all evil. It's your evil, it's my evil, all evil. It is his predictable, personal, uncompromising, settled hostility to evil. God's righteous, personal, constant hostility to evil. And it is by our nature that we stood condemned and that our unbelieving friend stands condemned today. Can't get any worse. It is staggering, but it's true. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, God's wrath. Can't get any worse. Be staggered at the bad news. And be staggered. The wonderful news. Look at verses 4 to 10. But, Stephen said, it's a, um, that is one of the best words in the New Testament, but. And this is one of the best places where the word but is in the New Testament. But. And uh, so we're going to see verses 4 to 10 here. The Christian church, by grace. Now Stephen's focused on that as the start of the service. And uh, we've just seen, um, uh, what we've just seen makes what we're about to see even better. This guy called Richard Cokin, who's uh, 
has a number of church, a uh, whole string of churches in south and southwest London. And he wrote this. Imagine yourself as a, as a decaying corpse. Got to have a good imagination for this one. Imagine yourself as a decaying corpse inside a coffin. And strangely, you're chained inside the coffin. We're at the crematorium. The service is finished and we're about to head into the flames. Suddenly, as the coffin is engulfed, someone leaps into the flames, smashes open the coffin, and despite the most hideous burns of Skyrim for life, retrieves your corpse, breathes new life into your body, washes you, and clothes you in his own clothes. He carries you to his chauffeur-driven roles and takes you to his father's presidential palace to stay in his rooms and feast at his table forever. And that is every Christian's personal story. It's your story if you're a Christian. It's my story. So let's look at verses 4 to 10. It's an extraordinary thing what God has done. This new creation. God's new creation. Uh, Verse 10. It's important to understand verse 10. We are God's, if you're a Christian, you are God's handiwork created. That's why we're talking about a new creation. Because you, if you're a Christian, you are created. Created in Christ Jesus. That's us. Look at, look at one another. That's what we are. You and me. John Calvin said, you see then, this word create is enough to stop the mouths and put away the cackling of such a boast of having any merit. For when they say so, they suppose that they were their own creators. You see, you can't be your own creator. You were a corpse. You were dead. So there is no merit whatsoever in your new creation. There couldn't possibly be. How can a corpse do anything? You couldn't do anything. You were dead. And obviously, you can't create yourself. You cannot create yourself. And verse 10 is talking about that you were created. As a Christian, you are created. You can't do that yourself. Can't possibly be done. You were dead. And you look at verse 5. It says, with Christ. Verse 6, with Christ. Verse 7, in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, in Christ Jesus. And it's saying, Jesus Christ was dead. God raised and exalted him. And you also were dead, and God raised you with Christ, and exalted you with and in Christ. So we see that in, uh, uh, in verse 5. God made us alive. And in verse 6, God raised us up with him. And again, verse 6, God made us sit with him. Now those are three events in Jesus, if you like, his saving career. It's talking about his ascension, his, his, um, his resurrection, his ascension, and then what we call as his session. The fact he's now seated in heaven. And now he says, this is you too. Raised with Christ, ascended with Christ, seated with Christ. This is staggering. And we're meant to be staggered. We've had the staggeringly bad news can't believe it was that bad but now I realize it was 
And now we have the staggeringly good news. Made even better in the light of what we were like before. And you see, all, all this in Jesus, this in Christ, what's happened to him has happened to us. It's like, you know, England are losing 2-0 to Moldova or someone. And then Harry Kane scores, uh, comes on and scores a hat-trick in injury time. And we say, we won! Well, we haven't really done anything uh, to win. We've done nothing to achieve it. But we glory in it nonetheless and we celebrate because we're on the right side, on the winning side. And with Jesus, we are on the winning side too. The right side. We've been saved, we've been rescued through faith. So we accepted it. So look at verse 8 here. For it is by grace you have been saved, or rescued through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. January 1997. Tony Bullimore. It was taking place in the Vendée Globe, single-handed, round-the-world yacht race. He was in the Southern Ocean. No one in their right mind, it seems to me, would want to sail a yacht single-handed in the Southern Ocean. But anyway, there he was. And uh, he was in the middle of a huge storm, 100-mile-an-hour winds and everything. And, uh, um, and he was about 1,300 miles from land. Seems to me that's about as remote as you can get and still be on the planet Earth. 1,300 miles from any help, and his keel snapped off. Now, if you know anything about sailing, you know that if you have a keel on your yacht and it snaps off, your yacht will capsize in a matter of seconds. And Tony Bullimore was in the cabin. And as, as the yacht went over, he ended up in an air bubble. And he was there in the air bubble with a bar of chocolate in pitch darkness, 1,300 miles from any help at all. Now, his yacht had uh, an automatic uh, um, distress beacon, and that was triggered, and the message was picked up by the Australian Navy, and they dispatched the RNAS Adelaide um, from uh, Fremantle. Uh, 1,300 miles in a storm with 100-mile-an-hour winds takes a bit of time to get there. It took them four days to get to... uh, uh, to his yacht, where the distress beacon was uh, helping them to uh, to focus in on where they were going. No chance he's going to be alive, surely. And yet they found, capsized, in the middle of the Southern Ocean, the XI Challenger, Tony Bullimore's yacht. And there's the rib uh, from the Adelaide there. And uh, then one of the guys from the rib swam across, and he hammered on the hull. And then uh, just a few moments later... This happened. Can you see the guy in orange there? That's Tony Bullimore. He dived down from his air bubble in the yacht, and he dived down through the cockpit, uh, through the, the cabin, down to the cockpit, and then dived down further to get out and then bobbed up. And there he is. And they uh, picked him up, and they took him over to the Adelaide. He was just about okay. And then on the way back to Fremantle, he personally went to every single member of the crew of HMAS Adelaide and said, thank you for saving my life. He was saved. He was rescued. He could do nothing but wait there in the pitch darkness and hope. And for four days he was there, and they arrived, and he uh, had to respond to that knocking on the hull. It wasn't his work to be saved. Now at that point, 
he knew better than any man on the planet that when you're saved, you don't contribute anything. And our salvation is the gift of God in verse 8. Verse 9, he just says it again, it's not by works. You're not going to boast about this. Please don't boast about this. Just be staggered that God would do it for you and for me. And verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. God's made us. God's created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're his new creation. This is wonderful. We should be people who do good works, ready involved to be there. and discuss it in our small groups this week. And uh, uh, God has created those good works in order that we should walk in them. That's literally what it means. This is works that are good for others. So it would be good to do something that's good for other people. It would be really good every day to deliberately do something that's good for other people, for one other person, whatever it is. Think of an example. Or just do something off the cuff. A couple of weeks back, I was just down at the tip, sleeping up the leaves, took my stuff up there, and then I was, I was just going to uh, go down the steps and go back to the car. And there was a guy coming up, and he was really struggling up the steps. So, so I'm not saying this to boast. He just had, had something that wasn't awfully heavy. I said, can I take that? And I just pucked it the tip, tip and, uh, and he, was, he was ever so grateful. Um, but it was nothing. It was just a little off-the-cuff thing. Perhaps it was a little good work. Perhaps I was just being kind. I hope so. That's the kind of thing that we should do, isn't it? Just be on the lookout for it. There are plenty of opportunities all the time. Well, why? This is staggering what God has done for us. But why has he done it? Let's have a quick look at God's motives. God's motives here. And uh, uh, the motives are fourfold. There's mercy in verse 4. There's love in verse 4. There's grace in verses 5, 7 and 8. And there's kindness in verse 7. There was a young soldier in Napoleon's army was facing a death penalty uh, for some, by our standards, comparatively minor offence. And his mum, of all people, came and fell before Napoleon begging for her son's life. Please, she implored, have mercy on him. To which Napoleon replies, why should I have mercy on him? He doesn't deserve it. To which his mum replied, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. We were by nature, verse 3, deserving of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, has saved us. That is extraordinary. That is staggering. And then there's God's love in verse 4 here. God's love. God's love is not drawn out by our lovableness, but it wells up like an artesian spring from the depths of his nature. You know the shepherd and dog over, is it Falking or Poinings? It's just over the dance. You know the pub there? There's a spring in the car park. There's there. And the water just keeps on coming out of the chalk and the south downs. That's like, that's a picture of God's love. And then there's his grace in 5 and 7 and 8. And we should be excited by grace, very excited by it. It is uniquely Christian. God's grace is uniquely Christian. It means God's very nature, giving and giving and giving and giving, giving himself. And at what cost for us that we might be saved? And it is profoundly humbling and profoundly wonderful. And simply staggering. God's wonderful 
amazing grace. And his kindness. In verse 7. Now, look at, just look at verse 7 and then I'll close. In order that in the coming ages, when Jesus returns, when we go to glory, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's talking about heaven. That's talking about glory. And it simply overrides or sends a tidal wave um, over such questions as, will my rabbit go to heaven? Or what will we do all day in heaven? Or won't we get bored in heaven? You just read verse 7, and it's just a celebration of God's kindness. And God has been staggeringly kind to us in Jesus. And so we should be kind people. Are you kind? Are you known for your kindness? It means here that no one's going to be strutting around heaven like someone who's won The Apprentice, saying, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Heaven will be filled with the exploits of Christ and the praises of God. It is and it will be a staggering place. And I hope this evening, as we've considered this old creation, and as we are deserving of wrath, and as we've looked at ourselves as this new creation, God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus because of his mercy and his love and his grace and his kindness. I hope you've been absolutely staggered because it is truly and amazingly wonderful. Let's pray. Lord, we are simply amazed, staggered, or what we were like. How can you be that bad? Yet we were. And we're staggered at what you have done in your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness for us. To bring us to be with you for all eternity. Lord, we humbly bow and praise your name.